This is the Ned Group Investments Podcast, a space where you can learn more about our fund managers, the funds they manage, as well as getting up-to-date and important developments affecting the investment world and how they might be relevant to you. We move on to our, our next presenter this morning, Philip Liebenberg from ABEX Investments. So we're changing asset class now and we're going to move into to fixed income, government bonds, enhanced cash type discussions. And of course, it's, it's topical because we know that yields specifically on South African bonds at the moment are pretty high. They certainly offer a good yield compared to where cash money market is. But saying that, there is significantly higher risk involved as well now. We've heard about the, the government debt from some of the previous speakers. And of course, if your debt is going up, the risks go up as well. And like anything in, in investments, higher risk, higher return is required. So we've really asked Philip to come in today to, to just talk about this. Is the higher yields on South African fixed income worth the increased risks that are out there with government and their, their fiscal position? So, Philip, thank you so much for, for coming in. Again, Philip manages one of the funds that we're invested into within the portfolios, and we look forward to your insights and your comments. Thank you for the, the opportunity today. So, today we're going to talk about you know, I get the question a lot of the time. So you've got these government bond yields that's quite high. Why don't you have more exposure to that or, you know, kind of just fill your boots? So what we'll do today is just explore that a bit. I'm not going to give you, if you're looking for a definitive answer, you might be disappointed. But we'll go through a couple of, you know, some of the information that we look at and you can possibly make up your own mind and uh, we can you know, have a look at what, what we see. So we're going to look at, you know, whether bond yields are still attractive in the local market. And why is that? We'll just want to set the scene. And what you've got here is you can see money market yields. You know, if you invested in a money market fund, like Trevor said, maybe you get a yield of three and a half, maybe 4%. For most people, that is probably inadequate, you know, as income with very little real growth. But if you look at then at nominal bonds, just go back. If you look at nominal bond yields, you can see the light blue line. That's giving you a, a yield of nine, nine and a half percent, which is which is quite attractive. So we're going to explore a bit that today and why is that the, the disconnect? Obviously, your money market rates are driven by monetary policy, with rates being at you know a kind of decade lows. So we'll explore that question. If we look at the the budget, I think the budget now is uh, old news. We've you know, been through that. I think most of us were on the margin, probably a bit of a positive surprise. You know, the budget deficit was expected to be about around about 15%. We came out at about 12%. We had nice revenue overruns due to, you know, better export mining royalties. You know, the mining sector doing quite well in the last six months. So yes, a nice revenue overrun. I think uh, governments uh, stuck to their expenditure targets. So that was quite pleasing. So long story short, I think on the margin, a positive news from, from a budget perspective. And, and if you look at the medium term, we're all looking for some fiscal consolidation, which is very important. If you look at the bond issuance, you know, a lot of talk about bond issuance possibly decreasing. So we had this flood of bonds coming into the market. And at some point, you know, the marginal buyer, you know, I think we are seeing some of that where a lot of people's got a lot of bonds. The good news is actually it happened yesterday, so 
the Treasury announced that the issuance will actually decrease by about one point. If you look at the nominal bond market, I think the total issuance was about 6.6. That's going to come down to just under five. So a nice decrease in bond issuance. And that's on the, on the back of a better, a better budget and a narrower budget deficit. So less funding required. So that, that is just some of the bit of the, the budget. We'll, uh, I think most of you have, has read enough about that. Now let's just look at what that means in terms of our debt to GDP. So if you look at the MTBPS and, and, and estimates, you know, we were heading to a, a debt to GDP of actually heading to 100. With the budget that has been revised, so we are looking at debt to GDP peaking around about 90%, just under 90. So there's been a general decrease in our debt to GDP of about five percentage points, which is good news. I think the problem with some of this is that don't forget the SOEs. The SOEs have quite a lot of debt and the, the debt, and that can a easily add another 20% to that number. So that's obviously a bit of a concern. But what we do need is some fiscal consolidation. We need this negotiations on the public sector wage bill to go well. And hopefully they stick to their kind of wage freeze or have kind of very low increases in that wage bill. So the expenditure side, and the implementation of that is quite important. Then if we look at just the debt service costs, so we must remember this number, you know, the IMF if talks about a number, if it exceeds 70% debt to GDP for, for, for emerging market, it's, it can become problematic. We're heading towards 90. If you look at our debt service cost as a percentage of tax revenue, that's over 20%. So that is problematic. So I think that just sets the scene. If you, if you rewind, let's just take a step back. If you look at 10, 15 years ago, we were a debt to GDP of between 20 and 30%. We're heading to 90. So from a risk and a credit perspective, we're not the same. It's not the same if you want to call it just counterparty risk. So our risk has definitely increased. And just our debt to, to look at a relative, you know, how are we doing on a relative basis? You can see that our average budget deficit is on the high side compared to emerging markets. If you look at our average debt service costs as a percentage of revenue, also on the high side. So if you look at some of the information I've just given you, you can see that our fiscal dynamics and a lot of these ratios are on the higher side. And therefore, higher risk and then investors should require a higher premium, a risk premium. So ultimately it comes back to valuation. And for if you look at what we do at ABAX, we see bonds as, you know, the fair value, obviously fair value changes with market conditions, but we see fair value around about nine to nine and a half percent on, on the bond market. Some people would say, but that's, you know, that sounds like a bargain. If you adjust for the risks, some of the things we've just highlighted, I think probably around about fair value. At the moment, it seems like it's getting a bit cheaper. We'll touch on, you know, why, why is that happening? If you look at on the right-hand graph, we've just plotted something very simple. A lot of emerging markets on the debt-to-GDP ratios versus the real 10-year yield. And the long, long story short here, if you've got a debt-to-GDP of between 70 and 90%, typically investors would require a real yield of between 4 and 6%. And we are in that vicinity with, with our bonds. So it just gives you a bit of perspective. But here's something else. We are not an island. We are, you know, part of a global economy and we are a small open economy. So cash flows, you know, these massive fiscal stimulus, the global fiscal stimulus will, will affect us. 
And what we have seen, we've been a beneficiary. Firstly, I think good commodity prices, and secondly, this wave of global liquidity has actually benefited us. You look at the RAND being quite strong, but we have seen this reflation trade coming through and the fear of inflation, you look at globally. And on the back of that, we've had rising US treasuries, or let's just say global bond yields. That obviously is a headwind for South African bonds. And if you look at the last you know, month or so, the weakness, I think, by and large, has been due to you know, global real and nominal yields going higher. So that could be, uh, you know, upset the apple cart a bit. But if you then again, if you look at what's available to, you know, there's a lot of money trying to find a way or, or a home. And if you look at what's available to, to investors, you don't want to go to Europe because you're getting zero returns. If you look at South Africa there, these are a couple of emerging markets. You can see the green line there just heading from 8 to 10 there in the middle. Actually quite attractive on a relative basis. So we should see some support for our you know, local debt market on a relative basis. I mean, you don't want to touch Turkey, I guess. We've just seen a big upheaval on there with the central bank and, and the policies. We are fortunate we've got a very stable financial system and, and central bank. So I think, yeah, by and large, it's, a, it's, it's probably on that, on a relative basis, a, a good story. I thought today I'd share, you know, maybe our SAU curves with, with, with you. So what we have here, as you can see there on the bottom, we've got our inflation-linked bond curve, which is a real yield curve. The top one is our nominal curve. And the difference there, you can see the yellow line is what we call break-even inflation. Now, from a more technical point of view, we use break-even inflation to look at relative value. Now, if you look at break-even inflation there on the longer end of the curve, that's kind of close to, you know, six and a half, seven percent. We don't see long-term inflation being at six or seven percent. We see it closer to let's call it four, the midpoint four and a half to five, five percent. So if you look at it on a real yield perspective on the nominal curve, I do think it looks cheap from a longer term perspective. But the key is here is that we need fiscal consolidation because I think our curves and our bonds are pricing in that maybe down the line we, we are heading into some, some, some problems where we might have to think of how we take our bond market forward. And, and maybe at some point people don't want to fund you if you don't think they, you're solvent enough to actually repay them. And I think our curves reflect some of that. So I, I come back to economic reforms, fiscal consolidation, wage negotiations. These are all important for our bond market. At the moment, probably fairly valued. And I'll just go on to the RAND quickly. If you look at the RAND from a PPP basis, purchasing power parity, we think it's fairly valued. If you adjust that for some of our fundamentals, we think the RAND is slightly overvalued at these levels. But as you can see there on the right hand side, we've been a huge beneficiary of this global wash of liquidity. The RAND is, a, I think you can see, it's a, it's a proxy for emerging markets and we've done exceptionally well. Also on the back of good commodity prices. So I think that's where I've taken you through a couple of, uh, I, I said in the beginning, I'm not going to give you a definitive answer. I think it was to give you a couple of facts and the things we look at. And so if you look at that graph we showed in the beginning, yes, our, high, our bond yields are high at nine, nine and a half percent. Around about those levels, we think it's fairly valued. We will add some bonds, you know, at, at higher levels. As a general statement, we are probably a bit more conservative on our bond allocation compared to the market average. We do think that's reflective of the risk that we've just spoken about. So for us, it's always about 
you know, it's about diversification and looking at opportunities of the different sectors in fixed income and see where are you being, ultimately is, are you being compensated for the risk that you're taking? At this point in time, even bond yields are high, we think on balance you are, but it's not time to fill your boots. I think we've got a tough couple of years ahead of us. And the last slide here is just to ultimately what we do like. So, you know, we're kind of neutral on, on nominal bonds. What we do like is inflation-linked bonds. We've added quite a bit of inflation-linked bonds last year at real yields of three and a half and four. And I think it's important at this point in time that protecting the real value of capital for us is important. If you look at the US dollar and, and them printing money, dollar weakness, general currency weakness, having a bias towards real assets is quite important. And that's why we've, we've included quite a bit of inflation-linked bonds because that would protect you against unexpected inflation. I think the stars are also aligned globally. If, you, if we ever had the chance of, of higher inflation and higher unexpected inflation, I think the stars are aligned with that, with, with basically aggressive fiscal stimulus, QE, a guy getting a check, check in the mail, there's pent up, there's a lot of high savings rate, um, pent up demand once COVID kind of subsides. So I think stars are aligned for possibly high inflation, and I think central banks would like that because they have high levels of debt. And I think we should be prepared, if you're in the fixed income market, possibly to get used to earning negative real rates where inflation possibly could run higher than, than your bond yields. And why can that happen? Because central banks can do it. They can enforce yield curve control. And I think that is something we'll see from down the line from the ECB and possibly from the US, but we're not there yet, but the hand might be forced because of a number of factors. So Trevor, I think that's where I'll, I'll end. So diversification for us is key. There's no one silver bullet. At this point, we, we follow our diversified alpha approach, looking for opportunities across our income market. Philip, thank you. Uh, just one or two quick questions. We've got a few minutes. We just saw the South African inflation figures came out, I think it was yesterday or the day before, and they were marginally lower, I think, than what the market was expecting, and around about 3%, 2 .9, 3 .3 yeah. 2.9, 3.3%. 2.9, yeah. Just what is your guys' view on South African inflation over the next 12, 24 months, and I guess that plays out again then into potential interest rate hikes or, or, or cuts or, or stability. I mean, how, how are you guys pricing in potential interest rate changes in South Africa at the moment? We, I think the one thing is we, we don't try and predict too much on what's going to happen. But if you look at the, the Saab model, I mean, they are seeing, uh, we expect rates to actually stay, stay flat. I think the I don't think the, the the window of cutting rates further and and given where you know global rates and monetary policy I don't think that window is, is is closed for further cuts. It's now a question of when we'll start hiking. If you look at what the market expects, the market we think the market is a bit if you want to call it optimistic, but the market is anticipating anything between 75 basis points and one percent over the next year. We think that's too aggressive. I think the lower inflation is giving the Saab the opportunity to stay lower for longer. And yeah, so I think that's where we are. The next move in rates will be up. I think, like I've mentioned, inflation gives a bit of 
opportunity to kind of maybe postpone the next. But I guess you will see uh, more hawkish down from from us from the Saab in the next couple of meetings. But it won't be unexpected. And just to perhaps end off, and I mean, I know that you look at it as well, particularly in the flexible fund. Just, do you want to just give again very briefly some comments on property? Also provides a pretty good yield, and just talk about listed property and yields versus fixed income and yields, and and how are you guys positioned? I'm not our resident expert, but we yeah. do have property exposure. I think our preference for, for, for properties, so if you look at where we've come from, I think our property sector has been growing quite quickly. If you look, take a decade back, I think it got expensive and we know how it kind of all, all un, unraveled and quite a few investors would probably be quite nervous about property at this point in time. We actually, beginning of last year, increased our exposure slightly, a bit early. I mean, COVID wasn't expected. But then late last year in the third, fourth quarter, we added a bit to our property exposure, albeit from a low level. What we have done and where we were quite clear at that point, we thought that we are being compensated for the risk and that a lot of these companies were indiscriminately sold down. And I think it's because of liquidation. I mean, property sector is not the most liquid. So I think the chances of dislocations are, are, are bigger. So we added some exposure. I mean, our exposures are quite are still low. We're still below 3% on, on most of our multi-asset funds. But, you know, where some managers might have been higher, I think that you would have had less scope to add. Our preference has been for quality companies, good balance sheets. You look at certain companies that's more focused on logistics that's done exceptionally well. So for us, it's... Low LTVs, strong balance sheets, quality. That's been our focus. So tried, we're not going to be, you know, try and pick the company which we think is going to be double, but we are looking for sustainable growth. And it's going to be over the medium term. I think on the shorter term, you're going to see some more negative reversions and a bit more pain. But I think it always comes back to price. And I think it's reflective in the sector, if that gives a sense. So I think for us, it's, at this point in time, given what we know, it's probably fairly valid. We picked up some of our exposure at, at quite attractive levels. Won't add aggressively. I don't think it's a time to go for income fund to go at 5 and 6%. We're not there yet. Philip, thank you so much for coming in, giving us your insights. And I know it's an asset class that lots of people sometimes find a bit confusing. And I think you've, you've helped <laughs> highlight the key, the key parts to it. So thank you very much. Excellent, Trevor. Thank you. Negroup Collective Investments is an authorised collective investment scheme manager in terms of the Collective Investment Schemes Control Act. Negroup Investments does not provide advice on financial products and will only give you factual information. For further details on our funds and to view our terms and conditions, please visit negroupinvestments.co.za.